a struggle for Germany's soul. We are the SpyFi Guys, and this is Traitors or Patriots. Welcome to the SpyFi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And today we have a very special microdot for you. We have an interview with the author of Traitors or Patriots, a story of the German anti-Nazi resistance, Louis Elchcher. Yeah, and he is clearly more highbrow than <laughs> anyone we have had so far, and probably right. ever will. We were clearly out of our depth talking to him. <laughs> but it was, it's a great interview, and he was, a, he was fascinating to talk to. What is the book about, really briefly, before we get started? Uh, so the book is pretty much covers a lot of different attempts to uh, assassinate Hitler, some of which we covered in our previous microdot, Countdown to Valkyrie, and of course some of the other events of Operation Valkyrie itself were covered in the movie Valkyrie. Not only does he cover these things, he goes into a deep dive history of every single person associated with these events. And so you get the, their history and their motivations and what, how and why they did everything that they did do. But don't worry, we don't go through all of them in the interview. <laughs> we just talk about the general ideas. So yeah, this is a spicy interview. It gets political. It gets religious. <laughs> it gets about modern day, past, some hard-hitting questions are asked. I don't think they're going to put us on CNN, but I feel like we <laughs> give a pretty good job for our first interview. <laughs> Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Well, thank you for joining us for a very special Microdot episode of the SpyFi Guys. Today, we have author Louis R. Elcher, and that would be the author of the book, Traitors or Patriots. So welcome to the podcast, Louis. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Tell us a little bit about your book. Okay. I used to, uh, in addition to my, my regular work at the uh, Rochester Institute of Technology, I used to teach in an adult education center. And <clears throat> these, most of my students were people who were, they were all adults, of course. Uh, mm -hmm. And, uh, very well versed. And in fact, I had some retirees from uh, the University of Rochester in my classes on occasion. But they didn't know too much about modern German history, modern history, for mm -hmm. that, especially German history. And I came to realize that there was a group of people uh, who uh, were really quite ignorant about the, uh, about the course of events in Germany especially in the early 20th century, uh, and, of course, Nazism. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's what prompted me to write this book for a, a well-versed uh, individual uh, who really didn't know too much about modern European history, again, especially German history. Mm -hmm. So that's what prompted me to put this uh, book together. Okay, and actually, why don't you give us a little bit of your background as well? Just uh, so you said you you know taught at Rochester. Yes, I uh, I was born and raised in the United States in Pennsylvania. Uh, my paternal grandparents uh, were German immigrants. My hmm. my uh, paternal grandfather came from uh, Austria, and my paternal grandmother came from Bavaria. Oh. My oh. mother's family uh, was, came over here 
quite early on. I have reason to believe that they were associated with the first, uh, the, the, her name was Corn, K O R N. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was someone named Corn, who, uh, t- two men, I believe, who, who came to the States with the first German uh, settlers. Oh, wow. Country. So they go back quite a ways. But I, I have reason to believe that uh, her family may have come from uh, southwestern uh, Germany. And uh, it's interesting. I, I have had my, uh, what's the blood uh, test you get for? Oh, like a 23andMe or a Ancestry or one of those? Right, right. One of those. And it turns out that I have some uh, 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 blood from the uh, Ashkenazi Jews. Oh. Into Germany. Well, quite quite early, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to say the Middle Ages. I'm not certain of that, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it was the Middle Ages. So uh, I have the blood of those ancestors, who, of course, were among the first German settlers in this part of Germany, in the western part of Germany. But uh, the thing that really captured my interest here mm-hmm. was the fact that I was a very young teeno- teenager in uh, during the World War II. Oh. And uh, I was getting all of this information, this anti-German and anti... Oh, there were the Germans and then there were the Nazis. But mm-hmm. the, uh, in America, it was conflated. Every every German was a Nazi. And I thought, right. with my genes, it would prompt me to uh, uh, follow a man like Adolf Hitler and his <laughs> Nazis. And that's really what prompted me to begin the study of German history in a, in a detailed sort of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it weren't for the quirk of fate and circumstances, it could have been you fighting in the war. <laughs> Absolutely. So I read your book, and I must say it was a really interesting read. And I really appreciated because you just go into a really deep dive background into not just all the different, you know, the different resistance movements, but a detailed history of yes. every single person who's in there. Like, so for, you know, for me and Zach, you know, we're mostly, well, yes. for me, at least I know, mostly know about, um, you know, the, some of the resistance movements through movies like, uh, yeah. like Valkyrie. So, right. you know, and so seeing these names, which I, I, you know, I recognize the names. Oh yes. These are people played by that character, but you know, obviously they're real people. So getting their histories, and your motivations really sort of made that even more real for me just to get to know who these people are and why they decided to do what they did. Well, that's one of the uh, sources of my, my interest. Uh, in fact, the major, major source, mm-hmm. uh, just how did the German people react to, to the Nazis? Again, there was the propaganda, but then there's also truth. And uh, I, um, I wanted to write a, fairly broad history of the period, which would include people both pro and con as far as the mm-hmm. Nazis are concerned. And I think, I would like to think that I came, uh, came up with a well-balanced uh, uh, history of the period. Yeah, I would definitely say so. Now, since I brought up the movie Valkyrie, have you seen it? Yes, I'm trying to think. I've seen several bit. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw Valkyrie. Yeah, that was the one with uh, Tom Cruise as yeah. uh, Stauffenberg. Right, right. What did you think of it? I thought it was quite accurate. Yeah? It was very good. So I actually wanted to jump in about that. We did a little bit of spy fact versus fiction for Valkyrie. 
about Stauffenberg, and we used a book then called Countdown to Valkyrie by Nigel Jones. And something that we didn't discuss then that I was not aware of was that Stauffenberg actually didn't seem to mind the militarism of the Nazis so much. His motivations were more out of self-preservation for the country. And I was wondering if you might be able to shed some light on that. Yes. Well, uh, I must say that there is the main source of militarism in German history is uh, the Prussians, the Prussian state. And many of the opponents to the Nazis, I'm talking now about the top leadership, especially in the army. And I should uh, comment on this, that the army was the only uh, instrument, I guess is the word, uh, that could that had direct access to Hitler. Mm -hmm. uh, this was, of course, during the war years. And there was a very strong, very uh, um, almost, well, I'm tempted to use the word violent, uh, opposition to Hitler uh, within the German army itself and uh, within the leadership. And some of the names that were used, uh, that were, I should say, uh, not used, but, but were prominent, in the anti-Nazi resistance movement within the army, these names go back to the days of Frederick the Great, back in the 16th century. So there was direct family ties to those who were adamantly opposed to Hitler. And of course, that gave the lie to the idea that uh, there was this, this close partnership, if you will, uh, between the old German nationalists and the militarists and the Nazis. The truth was that these men despised Hitler and the Nazis. Most of them did. The problem was that there weren't enough men in high places that were willing to act with the courage that was required to depose Hitler. Uh, there were about three or four men uh, in, the, in the military who, uh, for whatever reason, uh, neglected, or I should say neglected, uh, rejected the idea that they should become part of the movement. They were sympathetic to the Nazi movement, but they just didn't have the uh, internal fortitude to uh, uh, step out and, and uh, take an active role in, in the resistance movement. I could talk a lot more, but but uh, I, I could get into a lot of detail of the specifics of their attempts on Hitler's life. He claimed uh, that there were some 42 attempts on his life. Whether mm -hmm. that wow. we'll never know. Mm -hmm. But what we do know is that there were uh, at least three times when the army came within... Uh, uh, almost, well, minutes, if you will, uh, in, in uh, deposing Hitler. Yes, I remember reading that in the book. Like, so when I was reading it, and I, you know, I th I'm trying to remember what the phrasing he used, but I think it was something like, you know, attempt one, attempt... And I was reading, it, I was like, wow, Valkyrie was the fourth attempt? I, that's, that's, right. that's crazy to me. Because I, I guess in the movie, they portray the third attempt, which was the attempt... I forget what I think was it Operation Flash where they had the uh, bottle of schnapps with explosives in it. Yeah, well, that's the one. Uh, I think I think you're referring to the episode uh, in which Hitler was obliged to make a trip to the Soviet Union mm -hmm. during the war. 
and he had to talk to his generals specifically. Well, there were a couple of resistance uh, people. It was the, uh, there were three army groups in Russia and the Soviet Union mm-hmm. during the war, and it was the, the third uh, the, the third group that uh, that was most active in the anti-Nazi movement, and they were able to conspire to uh, put a bomb on the plane that was to carry Hitler back to Berlin. Oh wow! <laughs> and and they they set the timing mechanism on it and everything. The plane took off. Well, they had about two hours wait or whatever. And I can't imagine what what they must have gone through. Did anybody shoot this plane down? Did it mm-hmm. explode? What happened? Well, what happened was, uh, first of all, there were no uh, Russian or Allied planes that attacked the plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, the bomb had been placed in the cargo hold of the plane. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that the the weather, the temperature was so low that the <laughs> explosive device, the the trigger for the for the explosion, wouldn't function. Oh my gosh! Wow. When we covered Countdown to Valkyrie, my co-host Zach here was telling me about all the near misses that happened, and it, and <laughs> I think you talk about it in your book too that like people like you say that no, he you know, he didn't have a supernatural sense about it that he that but. Because he's just on so high alert, yeah. Yeah. Well, he he, I believe he himself, if I remember correctly, he himself uh, said that uh, he was being guided by providence. Hmm. Well, he would say that. <laughs> Some providence. <laughs> so the ones that we talked about were Operation Flash, which we mentioned, yeah. an attempt to overthrow the government within the Wehrmacht. I learned how to pronounce it correctly, Christian. Ah, nice. Good, good. Now. <laughs> And then we also talked about George Elser, so I have some questions oh, yes. about him. But oh, before yeah. we get to him, are there any other major attempts to kill Hitler that wasn't Valkyrie, Flash, Elser, or some kind of overthrow that you wanted to talk about? Well, there was at the time of the Munich conference in 1938. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. Okay. The, the Of course, the negotiations were going on between the Nazis and France and Britain uh, mm-hmm. over of Czechoslovakia and it looked as if uh, at one point it looked as if Chamberlain was going to declare war on or the should say the British government was going to declare war uh, on Germany and the conspirators were prepared that they had a raiding party a, a, a group was led by again a, a general and they intended, as soon as the declaration of war would be declared, they would strike right at the Bendlerstrasse, which was the German headquarters in, in Berlin. And uh, they, they were prepared to kill Hitler right at that point. Oh, wow. But they, within 12 hours, the uh, whole situation changed because Chamberlain and uh, the, uh, the British government and the French government decided to negotiate with Hitler and give him what he wanted. <laughs> and so the whole thing fell apart. Right. I remember reading about this in your book, and you mentioned that th- there's a question of, okay, you know, even though they, that was going to happen, why didn't they just go through with it anyways? Why didn't the, you know, the team that was supposed to take him out and take out um, you know, yeah, all, all of them just go for it? <laughs> well, 
the problem with that was is that you can't you can't really have a truly united nation when you try to wipe out the leadership <laughs> during wartime. Yeah, and fair that, enough. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was the key to the whole thing, because as we well know, I'm sure uh, you you know this that the German people themselves did not want to go to war. None of them wanted war. And when the war declaration was given, uh, the, the response within Germany was underwhelming. Hmm. Uh, they, 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 they just accepted it as a kind of fatalism. And Hitler was watching uh, a group uh, from his headquarters. This, again, was uh, in Berlin. And uh, when, when the announcement was made, uh, they were, the, the group, or I should say the population, was totally, uh, what's the word, probably dismissive. There was no cheering at all. Hmm. Hitler, in, in his anger, turned away from the window, said, how can I ever lead a nation like this to war? <laughs> wow. But yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Lack of enthusiasm for the war. So, Zach, do we want to talk about one of your favorite stories that you've heard about? Yeah, I must have repeated the story like five different times about <laughs> Elster almost killing Hitler, and I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about him. Uh, yes, he was a man who acted entirely on his own. He was so uh, thoroughly disgusted with Hitler and his Nazis that he was determined to uh, uh, assassinate him if he could. And he came within 13 minutes of doing it. There was a uh, an annual celebration on, uh, well, the 8th and 9th of... Uh, 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 November, and this was commemorating Hitler's attempt to uh, overthrow the uh, uh, Republican government uh, in uh, in November of 1923. This was the Beer Hall Putsch, mm -hmm. and uh, Elzer worked uh, after hours. He st he would come to the beer cellar, wait until everybody had left and the place was locked up, and then he'd go to work. And he hollowed out one of the main pillars of the of the building of the of the, of the ceiling, and uh, uh, he had access to explosives because he worked in a uh, quarry, a stone stone quarry, and he set the bomb to go off at something like uh, uh, nine fifteen, mm -hmm. and Hitler usually stayed over time. Uh, after, after he would give his speech and fellowship with the Alte Kempfer, the old friends of his, the, the old uh, uh, comrades, and he would stay there till even 10 o'clock or so. This particular night, he left precisely at 9 o'clock, and in 9.13, the bomb exploded. <laughs> oh, my gosh. changed the complete course of world history. Had that taken place? This was simply emblematic of the kinds of, of of problems that the conspirators faced in in dealing with Hitler. And of course, you have to remember Hitler had a secret army and he had a secret police too, and they were constantly on these guys' tails. And uh, you know they couldn't really come up with anything definitive, but they suspected that there was something wrong. And uh, it was the uh, within the, the intelligence, uh, the Abwehr, 
which was the uh, intelligence section of the Wehrmacht, the mm -hmm. army. And that, that was a center of resistance within the army from trying to uh, uh, get rid of Hitler. Yes, I remember reading in the book you talked about how uh, when they caught Elser, they thought that they were like convinced that he was a part of a different yeah. conspiracy with the Brits. Yes, yes, that's true. Uh, and apparently what Hitler wanted to do was to keep Elzer alive until the end of the war. And then after they, of course, won the war, they would execute Elzer. <laughs> that, that meant, he, he got executed anyway, but there was no uh, military victory to celebrate on the part of the Nazis. Yeah, it's sad. So I have a question. In the book, Countdown to Valkyrie, Elser was described as a weird person. Obviously, Nigel didn't phrase it quite like that. But as a weird person myself, I felt a lot of affinity with him. So how weird was he? Can you tell us? Georg Elser. Yes. Well, what can I say? He, he was pretty much, a normal, from my perspective, he was pretty much a, uh, he was, he was a bachelor. Uh he may have been gay, I don't know, but uh, I don't know that anybody, I, I, I can't recall ever having read that he was gay, mm. uh, but he was just a bachelor and uh, uh, he was a craftsman of, uh, of uh, basically, basically a carpenter. Uh, and he lived a, a very quiet life, but he developed this, this uh, vicious hatred of the Nazis and Hitler in particular, and he determined that he would uh, dispatch Hitler himself. And he came within 13 minutes of, of uh, <laughs> that. That gets me uh, every yeah. time that I hear something like that, where it's just like it was just so close, if not for this one thing. But the, the other thing that, that impresses me so about these conspirators is that they were men of deep moral. Uh, and when, <laughs> excuse me for getting contemporary here, but when I take a look at what's going on in the United States of America today, I see a carbon copy of that. Mm -hmm. What's happened to the Republican Party? They, the people that put Hitler in power, wanted to use him to serve their interests. He could get votes. Mm -hmm. That's what they cared about. And mm -hmm. one man after after he was. Of course, he, first, he, he was actually placed into office by uh, Paul Hindenburg, the president of the republic, and I uh, can't think of two others uh, who, who were involved in the thing. They, they decided that they would give Hitler, yeah, Kurt von Schleicher, who was uh, minister of defense, I believe, and then another one, Franz von Papen. Those, those were the three men who put him into office. Mm -hmm. And they thought that they would use him to get the votes and then they'd get rid of him. Well, again, they didn't succeed in that. <laughs> uh, and they, uh, uh, they were, what can I say, they were just a bunch of lily-livered cowards, as far as I'm concerned. So do you think of these various attempts, if they had killed Hitler, they would have been able to get the result they wanted, which was an end to the war or prevention of the war? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I don't have an answer to that. My, mm. my suspicion is that they, they would have had to surrender. Now, I, whether, whether the United States and Britain would have 
uh, agreed to this or not, I don't know. I suspect they would have. Mm-hmm. It, it, okay. Basic surrender, I think they probably would. That's, that's a, it's a good question. We'll never answer. Of course, the closer they got to the end, the more desperate the German position became. And I think right. they would have been to surrender. The reason why I ask is a lot of these academic folks like to talk about history in terms of inevitabilities. I'm oh. sure being an academic yourself, you've probably heard <laughs> this. Oh, yeah. I don't think anything is inevitable. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. Because, like, for example, I remember someone was like, oh, the seeds of World War II were built at the Treaty of Versailles at the end I of mean, World I, War One. I. I can't say well, that's wrong. <laughs> well, I honestly think it's, that's, there is a lot of truth in that. Mm. Because uh, the French, in particular, had this vicious hatred of Germany. And I should use, use the one personality. I can't think of his name. He was he was premier of France, and he was from Alsace-Lorraine, and he hated the Germans because they, of course, they had taken over Alsace-Lorraine in 1871, and mm-hmm. he uh, uh, he he was insistent that it the peace treaty be a very punitive peace settlement, and it was, and it only made things worse for for the world. I I just feel that, for me personally, I think the main point was the insistence that Germany become a republic. Mm, Right, the Wehrmacht Republic? Right. I I honestly think that if they had, if, if the Treaty of Versailles had been more moderate and allowed Germany to keep a Kaiser or maybe it wasn't the emperor, but he could be a king, as a kind of, well, what we have in Great Britain today, figurehead. Right. Keep, keep that there, because I think that might, might have helped. But, of course, we'll never know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, I'm not about inevitability here. I'm just thinking of potential. <laughs> sure. So one of the things I really appreciate about the book, because, I mean, German is such an interesting language and like you know people make jokes how they have literally a word for everything but what i appreciated in your book was that you you know you would use the word like the actual german word and then give us a translation of what the literal meaning was so you could so that you know we get an idea of all right it loses something in the translation definitely but just seeing the word and then having the translation right after that gives you at least some of the idea of the impact the word has yes well again i approached the writing of this book uh, I was approaching an audience that, again, very possibly could be very uh, well-educated, mm-hmm. but they don't know a word of German. <laughs> <laughs> I know a few words of German. I don't speak German. I know enough to get myself into trouble when I go to German. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was one of the things I wanted to do, to try to, to make this a, a readable book for uh, a, a non-German-speaking audience i have another question christian i don't want to ask too many so i know that some of the early attempts thought about working with the allies and certainly there's plenty of movies where fictional allied superheroes slash super soldiers try to kill Hitler. (laughs) so were there any allied attempts that worked with germans or otherwise that you know about there was an attempt made in 1940 something thereabouts uh to uh try to 
there was, it was a, a German, again, I think it was a military officer, who came to the United States. And this may have been, even been before 39. It could have been 30, 37 or 38. I'd have to double check. I've written about it, but I've forgotten some of the details. They came, or he came to America to try to persuade the American government to support the resistance movement. And uh, they didn't do it. Oh, what? Before 39, so the U.S. wasn't even in the war yet. But still, that, that idea is just... Well, when you I, think about what's going to happen, what would happen in the next few years, you just kind of like wonder, how How did you not even think about this? Yeah, that's a good question. I think part of the answer lies in the fact that they didn't know how bad it was really going to get. Uh, right, yeah. yeah how could you? <laughs> something that I referred to before, and that's the anti-German feeling that prevailed in this country. Mm, of uh, course. World War One. Right, right. It was always those damn Germans, you know. A 12 or 13 year old kid with a, with a 90% German heritage, oh. all this stuff, you get the picture. <laughs> I can imagine that. I think one of our good friends, actually, I think her, I don't remember if her, it was, I think it was post World War World War II, actually, her family like changed her name so it sounded less German. Oh, yes. I yeah. know that happened on occasions. Well, that didn't happen in my case. Take me as I am. I understand that completely. Yeah, no, you you, don't, you should you shouldn't have to change. You know who you are and who because of the sentiments of others. Yeah, definitely. What's going on in this country today? Mm-hmm. Oh, don't get me off on that. <laughs> well, as a history professor, Cheryl, you know history repeats itself. Sadly, <laughs> it repeats itself. Well, who was it? Was the American writer? Uh, well, he wrote Tom Sawyer. Oh, uh, Mark, Mark Twain? Twain? Yes. Mark Twain. He said, history does not repeat itself, but it rhymes. And right. That's a good way of putting it. I, I believe that every historical event is unique. People use the term parallel. Uh, this is parallel in history. I don't like that word parallel because, it, from, from my perspective at least, it, it, it tries to demonstrate that there's an exact similarity mm. uh, an exact instance it's not it's more than just a similarity and uh, I, I don't believe that i believe that every historical event is unique because there was something that went on before them you know mm-hmm. and it's just different people and so on but there there's there's this rhyming tendency that there you can see you can see certain comparisons that are, that are certain similarities in the course of history. So I know that me and Zach have a favorite, well, it was weird to say a favorite attempt, but, you mm-hmm. know, our would be, you know, Georg Elser, and I really am fascinated by, you know, Operation Valkyrie. Do you have one that's your favorite one to read about or think about? Well, I have to say my hero of history mm-hmm. is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the clergyman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he was very, very active in the resistance movement. And, of course, he paid with his opposition with his life. Mm-hmm. But he was a man of deep moral conviction. And, uh, and of course, he was a clergyman. And uh, as I read about this man, I, I, it just uh, overwhelms me when I see how determined he was. 
he was among the very first people in the mid-1920s to take a stand against Hitler. Oh, wow. And his stand became more pronounced as the years unfolded. So, yes, I had him. And so also, what happened to him? He was executed. He was Oof. arrested in January of uh, 43, I believe it was, because he was, there was a suspicion that he was involved in the resistance movement. So he was put in the prison. But what's remarkable, from my perspective, what's remarkable is that he did much of his writing while he was in prison. Oh, wow. And, uh, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's great. Uh, oh, there were others also. There was, uh, well, there was Georg Gelser. Okay, so one of the things we talked about in Countdown to Valkyrie, Christian may remember this, and then they showed up on a recent episode of My Favorite Murder, is the White Rose, which were students that went oh, around oh, distributing yes. pamphlets. Well, I have to tell you something personal about this. Okay. Uh, one of the members of the White Rose was a man by the name of uh, Amalia Prost. Okay. St. One of the co-conspirators. There were there were the the brother and sister, mm-hmm. uh, Joel, and then one other man, and and then Fritz Prost, who uh, he was a student at the University of Munich. He was very active. Uh, in in the White Rose movement and was arrested and executed, of course. Hmm. Well, he his name was Probst, and he came from Bavaria. Mm-hmm. My grandmother's maiden name was Probst, and she came from Bavaria. Oh. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so, yeah, maybe a distant relation? <laughs> it, uh, Probst was a fairly common German surname, so... Mm-hmm. Probably, if they were related, it was probably very distant relations. Mm-hmm. But uh, I always, I always took a little pride in that. And I, well, who knows? Maybe, maybe I did have some blood connection with the, those resistors. <laughs> <laughs> but that's pure speculation on my part. Hmm. <laughs> so the reason why I bring up the white rose, and this is a provocative question, feel oh. free to not answer it if you don't want to. But the White Rose and others like them were explicitly nonviolent. They wouldn't even consider killing Hitler or killing anybody else. And what happened to them? They all got killed. So right. what does that say? Do you, do you feel like this says something about the usefulness of nonviolent movements versus wow, violence? this is a produ- provocative question, Zach. Thank you. I know. Yeah, well, I, I personally would be unable to make a generalization on this. Well, I see the various resistance movements in this country today. Uh, they are achieving something. This nation, we've got a 400-year history of slavery in this country, and it's changing. The attitudes are changing. The attitudes towards the police are changing because the police behave like a bunch of you-know-what uh, and on, on many occasions. Now, there are a lot of good cops, but there are other, other cops, too. Uh, so what I'm, what I'm saying is, that uh, non-violent resistance can be a very good thing un- under the right circumstances. But when you're in the resistance movements against the Nazis, lots of luck. You know, it's just, it's just that uh, I, I, even if they had been willing to uh, assassinate Hitler, had they been apprehended, and I surely would have been, they had, what can I say? They, they just were, were convenient targets 
mm. for the Nazis. I see. So I, I personally would not make a generalization on that. On this mm -hmm. Martin uh, Luther King uh, was the champion of nonviolence, and he ultimately achieved an awful lot for this country. Definitely. Well, yeah, I think the idea is the circumstances are different, right? Right. Exactly. Last question. I, in reading your book, I was interested that you brought up a lot of both how a lot of the members of Valkyrie, you know, their Christian faith provided that moral backing. And then, yeah. but all at the same time, you also talk about how other leaders of the Catholic Church or some other Christian denominations in Germany basically just let things happen as they would. So I'm just, it's just interesting to me that just confronting both sides of, all right, how these teachings that, you know, were instilled in these officers yeah. was able, it was what motivated to do that. But at the same time, the leadership of the church failed them. Well, again, let me point you to the United States of America today. Some of Trump's most ardent supporters were so-called Christians. I'm a practicing Christian myself, mm -hmm. but I don't think I have much in common with these people. <laughs> that's, that's about all I guess I can say. <laughs> oh, that, that's it? Okay. Hope you got your answer, Christian. Well, I don't think there is an answer. It's just that's why it was more of an open-ended question of just like, it's, it's interesting to look at that and oh, yeah. see just, you know, how some the things that people can take from things, basically. Okay, I think that's about all the time we have. Appreciate your willingness to talk with me. Oh, yes, of course. So, again, your book is called Traitors or Patriots, A Story of German Anti-Nazi Resistance. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, pretty much most places you can find books. And, of course, you, again, you are Louis Elcher. Yes. Did I pronounce that right? Louis Elcher, yes. Elcher, El okay. Elcher. And yeah, thank you for, for you know, being on our show and t telling us about your book. I, I appreciate very much your, your interest in my book. Yes, yes, and I would highly recommend it. It was, it was a very good read. Thank you. So well, that was uh, Lewis for you. Was that, was that, is that wrong? Is that not how you say his name? Lewis? Yeah, no, it's right. That's right. We just pronounce gay or wrong every time before. Well, that's why we have him on. We learn stuff. And I yeah, know I've learned a which lot. Which I really should have known because Captain Von Trapp from The Sound of Music, his name is Georg. And so seeing, you know, George without the E at the end, I should have automatically known. Georg, of course, Georg. I'm just going to put it down as, well, that's the American pronunciation. <laughs> so it's not wrong. Uh, it's just different. Is it? Is it, though? <laughs> Had to get one in there. <laughs> okay. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next week for Zero Dark Thirty. Another very political, very interesting, very hot takey kind of movie. Until then, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Spy Fi Guys. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are the Spy Fi Guys signing off. Thank you for listening to the Spy Fi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. 
This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.